The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Good to be here with everyone tonight, all of you online and all the folks in the room. Appreciate the people here in the room who remember to wear their name tag. We'll have small groups later in the evening. Remember, this is an important part of the Buddhist studies, and you can always pass, but just to come together and hear from each other what you're learning, and I'll share some themes that might feel appropriate to discuss in your small groups for the last 20 minutes tonight. One thing that might makes sense, and it just is a, seems like a good place to begin. I remember one of my really important teachers, Joseph Goldstein, uh, used to say, maybe he still does, but uh, he would say something, this is a paraphrase, like, uh, one of the best ways for me to reflect on my decades of practice, I, Joseph's probably been practicing, you know, more than 50 years, probably, like 55, 56 years now. And, uh, but when he said it, you know, of those many decades that I've been practicing, one of the best ways to really understand it is as a deepening understanding of what wise effort looks like or feels like. So that might be something, just even in the small groups tonight, even if you're just six months into your practice or, you know, two years into your practice, like to reflect on that evolution of what we think, how we've understood the effort we make in practice. You know, I mean, how many of us went through a phase, maybe right at the beginning, you know, where it, we were sort of wrestling our mind down. You know, no, no, you're staying here. And... Uh, had this sense of focus, you know, just penetrating into whatever it is that we were paying attention to, the meditation object. And other times, you know, phases, right, including current phases, where we are just sort of hanging out, like waiting for something to happen. Come on. Come on, I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> when is it going to happen? And I think I maybe mentioned this last Monday, but, you know, that's a very... And it's so nice to share this in a more intimate setting with your small groups because it's so poignant, this pattern we fall into where we swing between some version of giving up and sort of, like I'm saying in a more silly way, you know, just like waiting for lightning to strike, waiting for insight to happen. He's like that story of the hen, the simile the, of the hen that the Buddha uses. He gives the example of a mother hen who has some eggs, and the hen really wants the eggs to hatch, really, really deeply wants the eggs to hatch, but neglects 
sitting and incubating the eggs, sitting on and incubating the eggs. So, of course, they don't hatch. And then gives the other example of a hen that is kind of indifferent about whether the eggs hatch or not, but just out of habit, that hen sits on the eggs appropriately, and those eggs hatch. And this, I think, is a really nice simile about understanding wise effort. And, you know, the, there's a kind of integrity in spiritual practice, necessarily, and everything has to sort of be in line, you know, integrated in a way. And, and the way we talk about that in, in Buddhist terms is we say that the practice begins and ends with wisdom. That's a common phrase, maybe you've heard that about the Buddhist teachings and the Buddhist practices, it always begins and ends with wisdom. So there's an integrity. And so effort has the flavor, the texture, the feel of awakening. Every part of the path shares the flavor of deep peace and clarity. You know, it has both a kind of buoyant, bright quality to it and a deeply released, peaceful quality to it. And that's helpful because in a lot of places in life, in kind of our more ordinary existence as an animal trying to survive, we get away with, like, even if we're doing something in our life that's somewhat refined, you know, sometimes our effort is really gross. Not not gross in a negative sense, but heavy. You know, we use brute force. And, you know, it seems like it kind of works. I mean, that doesn't mean it's the most skillful way to do something, but it seems like progress can come from even blunt kind of efforts. But whatever, whether that's true or not, it definitely doesn't work in spiritual life. And that's why it's so frustrating, because we will be like that mother hen sometimes, where we feel actual inspiration, you know, from the teachings, or from being around somebody that's inspiring to us, or hearing about something that moves our heart. And uh, we really want it. But all we're capable in those, in that moment or those moments is just that more blunt or dense or, you know, heavy kind of efforting. You know, just sort of flailing like, I want it. <laughs> Give me it. Where can I grab it? And of course, we end up feeling like betrayed or that wasn't you know, that, that wasn't helpful. That isn't the way. So that's a lot of our sitting practice is this, like I mentioned, and you could share this in the small group, is just learning a lot about what doesn't help. You know, like how many, like for those of us who've worked at times or a lot of the time with mindfulness of breathing, how many times 
is the way the attention connects with the breathing process off. You know, a little too complacent, a little uh, less than fresh, (laughs) stale, a stale approach to, you know, not actually authentically interested or aggressive, you know, trying to take a hold of it as if it's something that can be taken a hold of, gluing the attention on the breath. I mean, how many times have we experienced that deflection? There was some intention to connect with the present moment through whatever object, whatever experience, and we ended up lost in thought. I mean, countless times. And the question is, are we then learning, like as each of those moments of wrong effort, less than skillful effort, another little learning. Oh yeah, that's not the way. Oh, that was off. Oh, that wasn't helpful. And the discernment like what was off, like I mentioned in the guided sit, like not necessarily in real time, but maybe a little bit in hindsight, like sensing the root of that kind of efforting. Like what was the intention, the attitude, or the view that that kind of effort arose. Oh, that's what distorted the effort. Because it it arose from a particular sense of a me who wanted to make something happen, and that's what shaped the efforting, and that was why it was flat or unhelpful. And that's like connecting the dots. And then other times, hopefully, you know, we the mind is has a nice run <laughs> of skillfulness. And there's just a sense of the mind applying itself to the task at hand, remembering to recognize awareness and to keep remembering to recognize awareness and the energy that builds, like that quote I read from Sarah Durin's article that is linked to in the emails, so you can read that article, find a really nice article about the five faculties, five spiritual faculties. And uh, the point, you know, that she was making in the piece I just read is that, you know, one of the things about wise effort is that it leads to energy. So you could see, like, if you have a sit where there was a lot of wise effort, at the end of the sit, you don't feel drained from that wise effort. You feel enlivened and bright and energized, which is kind of nice. You know, that there's something... Now, I mean, obviously the body, if depending on you know, how you were sitting and the shape of your body and all that. There may be parts of your experience that needed a change or needed the sit to end. But you'll notice, if the effort was skillful, you'll notice that there's some... Like the mind is discovering that it likes to work. 
That's a really important thing to realize about the mind. It, it's, <laughs> some of you I know are dog people. It's probably true with cats too, but it's not as obvious maybe. But, you know, some dogs, just their nature just is really apparent, but it's probably generally true with all of us animals. We're, through evolution, you know, endless evolutionary, you know, conditioning processes, we're, we're built to work, <laughs> right? We're not, we're not built to kick back in our lazy boys. And, you know, if we, when we think about, this is something you can reflect on too in the small groups, if it makes sense, but, you know, just your own relationship to the idea of effort. And like thinking about happy times in your life, you know, it's not that vacations haven't been happy times, but when we really are, you know, reflect deeply, we see that some of the most satisfying times is when we were really engaged. We were doing something, making something happen. We were working, making skillful effort, appreciating that capacity we have to apply the mind and body to some end. And how it uh, puts aside the, that vortex of helplessness that we can get lost in at times, like spinning wheels, nothing's happening, not going anywhere. What's the point? What's the point of my life, of this, of, you know, whatever? You know, that's a, that can be a real dark place for us when we get in that place. And you know how it is, you know, when you get a little, you're learning another language or you're being a little bit more consistent with exercise or you've got four or five days of getting the wordle done, if you do that, puzzle, or whatever it is, and uh, there's just, I mean, just in the most simple, basic way, there's that, I'm not saying this is even spiritual, but it's just cause and effect. There's that sense of self-esteem. It's the opposite of helplessness. Oh. Because then it's basically demonstrating, the mind is demonstrating to itself that this, whatever you want to call this, life, is worthy of a wholehearted participation. As opposed to, you know, some version of just getting by until it's over. Trying not to make a mess of it. Trying to avoid the worst of it. And then hopefully it will be over soon enough. You know, this different variations of nihilistic thinking, pessimistic, nihilistic thinking, like some version of life is a setup. And I'm tired of idealistic notions that don't hold up in the end, you know. So then I'll, I guess I'll have to put up with my depressive, nihilistic notions of things. And it's interesting, we can have a, I mentioned this, I don't know, 
maybe last week or two weeks ago. But so it, weirdly, we have a lot of faith in that nihilistic, those nihilistic kind of conceptions that we generate and share with each other. So when we uh, bring some attention to the capacity for wise effort, which means we're learning the difference between wholesome and unwholesome roots, sort of understanding and attitudes, qualities that aren't coming out of the burning of greed and the grip of hate and fear and the net of delusion. Some of you recognize, I'm sure, that referring to that passage in the Dhammapada where the Buddha or somebody in the Buddhist tradition says or recorded, there's no burning like desire, like craving, that attachment to desire. There's no burning like that. There's no grip like hate. And there's no net like delusion. So those are the unwholesome roots. So the wholesome roots would be the heart not overwhelmed by greed, not burning with greed, not in the grip of hate or fear, and not in the net of delusion. Delusion, you know, we can talk about it in different ways, but non-delusion means not identified with any fixed view, not in the net, caught in the net of a fixed view that then we have to defend, sort of make it right by massaging reality to fit our fixed view. So when when our that we're inspired and the roots of that inspiration have the flavor of non-greed, non-hate, and non-delusion, seemingly as much as we can tell, which will be imperfect, not tainted by the unwholesome roots, then when that effort is allowed to express itself to this mind and body and this life, right, we don't have to figure that out. It's like a organic, natural process, like how we'll show up. It's a little bit like when we talk about the refuge of Sangha, that uh, skillful engagement, that skillful participation. It's like effort, wise effort. When there's the inspiration, like that energy arises out of non-greed, non-hate, non-delusion. It's like, you know, there's just energy that comes with life. <laughs> it's not like, you know, we think, oh, I, I need to be inspired, but it's there's something in the mind, some habit in the mind that's blocking the movement of energy. The ability to make effort, right? And it's like, we don't trust the roots that are dominating the mind right now, the greed, the hate, and the delusion. So, because we've been burnt when we make effort from those roots. So we're in this sort of stuck place. So that's why, you know, when when somehow 
wisdom enters the picture, because wisdom knows, that's what wisdom is. It, it knows the difference between what's skillful, what's a wholesome root, and what's an unwholesome root. So then we can recognize, it may not even be dominant, but we recognize even feeble, wholesome roots that are alive in the moment, like the non-greed, the generosity, the contentment, the non-hate, the kindness, the love, the non-delusion, just that simple presence. And we, and we start feeling what living beings feel, life energy, moving, right? The body, mind, it's built to engage, to connect, to participate. And then we, we can just see that engagement coming out of those wholesome roots. What is that set of motion, right? It, it's going to gravitate like, like the energy that arises out of the wholesome roots is not going to be in the direction of disengagement, disconnection. It's going to be in the direction of connection and being intimate. And then there will be learning, right? I mentioned, I think last week, I forget who said it, but uh, maybe it was Ajahn Tanisaro, but that the five spiritual faculties, this map from the Buddha, is really describing like, what is that process of the mind going from inspiration to deepening of insight? That's a natural process. What is that natural process? And it, the key is not to imagine that it's you doing it. That it's a natural process. When inspiration is coming from wisdom that knows the difference between wholesome roots and unwholesome roots, then that life energy is going to naturally be in the direction, naturally appreciating awareness, present moment awareness, it's the stabilizing, because all good things come from that. Like any, whatever needs doing in the moment, whether you're raising kids or doing your meditation practice or earning a living, but the competence of that is going to naturally arise be supported by that intimacy. So some of the uh, points that you might just naturally come up in the two to three minute sharings that each person will have unless you decide to pass, and then just a more open conversation for the last seven or eight minutes. You know, one is just reflecting to your group, your small group, um, well, how has my understanding of effort shifted, both in terms of my meditation practice, but also in terms of my life, taking care of the business of life? What have I learned over the course of my life and over the course of my spiritual practice, meditation practice, about that wise application of the mind? And where do I still get stuck? Like, where are those vortexes where I catch myself uh, having real doubt? Like, I don't know how to apply myself in a way that's onward leading. I'm still kind of m- making this 
which seems to me like an effort, but getting deflected into territory which doesn't seem helpful or productive. And then disappointment or wanting to give up or kind of getting angry. It's like, no, I'm really going to do it. But that just sets up the next disappointment or, you know, even something counter. And the other thing is just, uh, I mean, re- all of this is related, but just testimonials, like where in your life, and it doesn't have to be in a meditation situation, but where in your life has there been some period of time, and it might be relatively short, where you sense that that kind of integrity of wise effort, like the inspiration that that is sensed as being wholesome, and there's just like a natural, organic movement into the moment, engagement, doing something, and something positive coming out of that engagement, that application of your mind and body to the moment, which, you know, led to some increased inspiration, right? So there was that channeling, that positive feedback loop of inspiration, wise effort, some deepening and learning, some more inspiration, more movement of wise effort. Where have you seen that or felt that, or even maybe sensed that in another person, if you don't have an example? So that might be something... And not just in terms of this small group conversations tonight, but just as homework. Like, just let's really get attentive. And you might even see it like preparing a meal or doing some gardening work. Like, periods of time, like let's say you're working in the garden for a couple hours, there may be lots of time where you're just oblivious to the quality of effort. And then there might be some moments where you're clearly aware of the kind of effort that's there and it's unskillful. And then there may be moments where you feel that more naturalness of wise effort in your gardening. And what's the flavor of that? What is it about that experience, whether you're going to be sharing from the past or take it up as homework, that tells you that it's wholesome? Like, What is the telltale sign of its wholesomeness or its unwholesomeness. Because that's what's really important to clarify around all of these faculties. It's like, what is, you know, wise effort? What is wise mindfulness, wise awareness, wise samadhi? And what might be the shadows of all of these five things? Or what is it that undermines, takes the mind in another direction? Yeah, and then just generally, another thing that might come up in these sharings is just the lawfulness, you know, again, these are overlapping themes, but just the lawfulness, like the five spiritual faculties is describing a lawful natural process. So how are we sensing the lawfulness, which is another way of saying it's not personal, it's real, it has real effects, 
but and 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 we can count on the lawfulness of it. We can depend on it. We can bank on it, and we can get skillful about the lawfulness of it. And that's just, I mean, it actually breaks my heart, and I think in a, you know, mostly good way, I recommend it. <laughs> like, the more we sense that the spiritual path of awakening, or whatever you want to call it, is lawful, then what breaks our heart is like the sense that this natural process that is wholesome and liberating and good for my well-being and good for everyone's well-being, it could have been continuously fed through all my years. So it kind of breaks our heart like, and, and that's good because what, what we're left with is we're, we don't miss any opportunities to be skillfully feeding the wholesome processes that can be fed. You know, it's just like, again, just using the garden metaphor or taking care of your home. You know, if, if you're always interested every time you pass the garden, always setting good in motion, always pulling the right things and planting the right things, and then it's lawful. You know, good stuff's going to happen. And the same thing, if you're learning a new language or if you're developing this skill, if you persist and you know the difference between what's onward leading to developing that skill or developing that garden or doing that thing and what is undermining it, if you know the difference and you persist, then amazing things can happen when people persist. You know what it's like. I mean, we've all walked into somebody's home, not that this is necessarily even a cause for happiness, but we've walked into somebody's home where they have persisted in being sensitive and engaged in creating kind of a beautiful expression of what they're interested in, in their home. You know, and you walk in and you feel like, oh my God, this is an expression of my friend's mind. An amazingly intricate uh, uh, and beautiful in a way. Like, it's beautiful because that mind has persisted in creating something that is an expression, just like somebody who writes a song or somebody who makes a dance or, you know, that application of the mind, that persistence and the integrity of the process. This is what we're inspired by, like with art and literature and, you know, so many different things, crafts and even common ground, just the, the attentiveness and dedication of the people who have been involved and making this place what it is, you know, it astounds me. You know, and I've been right in the middle of it for a long time, since the beginning. But it is it is a thing of beauty, what humans, and wholesome roots, wholesome intentions, and a persistent application of the mind. And we want to be inspired by that. Because then it like, it begs question like, well, what am I inspired by? So that I can persist 
And in that persistence and feeding what is deserving of being fed, good things will come of it. And you know, we don't even need to, a lot of times we hesitate because we think, well, maybe that's not that important. But we might learn something by the application, (laughs) as opposed to holding back, waiting for the perfect thing. You know, when I get a really good meditation teacher, then I'm going to apply myself. Or, you know, whatever. But there's a lot of figuring out what's worthy of pursuing by pursuing. By, because we're, as we cycle through the inspiration and the application and the deepening of whatever that deepening is, we get kind of clear, like, is that deepening inspiring or not? We only kind of know when we have some deepening, like, well, it's nice, but it's, it's not that important, you know, or it's nice and it feels even more important, like, Sensing, oh, this is what it's about. This is what the heart really cares about. So hopefully that's enough to lead to really useful conversations. Let me just end tonight. I wanted to read a little from uh, Steve Armstrong's article. It's one of the articles that's been uh, linked to in the resources, Got Attitude. And it's Steve's relatively short article about the five spiritual faculties. This is the section on awareness. I'll talk more about awareness next week, um, but just to kind of give us a start. And I just like how Steve talks about it, so a few paragraphs here. He writes, Isn't it amazing how the mind can wander lost in thought with no awareness of what we are thinking? Yet when awareness arises, the train of associated thoughts stops and a moment of relief occurs before the mind picks up another object. In a moment of reflection, we can reconstruct the whole sequence of thoughts that just occurred without our being aware of them. The mind knew, but we were unaware of what the mind knew. Right? Isn't that true? It's like we can be oblivious, and then we're aware, and then we reflect. What was I just oblivious of? And we can remember because even when we're oblivious, the mind is aware. It's just that wisdom isn't recognizing that the mind is aware at that time. And Steve writes, Awareness is a natural capacity of the mind. It happens due to conditions. When conditions arise, awareness happens. When those conditions do not arise, delusion happens. Learning to recognize the conditions that give rise to each of these mental states helps us understand the conditional nature of all experience. With this knowledge and understanding, awareness can be encouraged and strengthened. Delusion can be recognized and abandoned. It takes practice to be aware of what the mind knows, has known, and will know. We are not trying to stop the mind from knowing, but rather to be aware of what the mind is already knowing and our relationship to it. We also try to be aware of the fact of knowing. It is important to know what the mind is doing. If anger arises, is the mind feeling anger? Uh, Is the mind feeling angry? 
thinking about anger or being aware of anger. The difference between these states reflects the difference between being absorbed and entangled in the feeling of the experience, being caught in the dreamlike story of the experience, or clearly observing and understanding of both the nature of anger and awareness. And now skip, right at the end of this section he writes, Our practice is to be aware and observe all activities of mind as they happen. As Saito Tejani encourages, quote, Don't feel disturbed by the thinking mind. You are not practicing to prevent thinking, but rather to recognize and acknowledge thinking whenever it arises. So I'll leave it here. We have about 20 minutes for the small groups. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.